Mark, uh, Reshma, and is, am I saying it right? Is it Wael? Wael, very well. Wael. Mark, Reshma, it, it is wonderful to chat with you. Thank you so much uh, for the time that you're for the time to chat with me. I Thank really you for your time. Pleasure. Yeah, uh, Studio Seventeen is a is a wonderful film, wonderful story. Uh, for for you all, I'm just wondering what is it that excited you to to delve into the world of Studio Seventeen. Do you want to start, Rishmi? Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, we just recently, I should start with, we should just recently uh, celebrated Jamaica's independence 60 years. Shout out to Jamaica for celebrating 60 years of independence. It's amazing. As you would see in the film, um, the independence part of Jamaica is really depicted in our movie. And it's actually quite relevant to our story because I had come across the story being a music journalist who specializes in reggae and dancehall. And, you know, I was actually interviewing Clive Chin and he had introduced me to these lost archives, which is, of course, a fascinating story for anybody, not just in reggae, but in music in general. You know, you're talking about some of the greats of reggae that you have never heard of, which is kind of unusual in any genre, let alone a genre that has given birth to Bob Marley, Alton Ellis, Dennis Brown, and the list goes on and you've seen the film. You've heard the tracks. So, it, um, you know, to cut a long story short, I basically did the story for Radio Fort Arts Program Front Row, and it was pegged on the 50th anniversary of Jamaican independence. So here we are celebrating 60 and 60th anniversary. So that's how we all came together in that time. And it's, as you can tell, it's been 10 years, if you can do the math, but <laughs> 10 years from making it from a radio program to then having it, you know, linking up with Mark, who's the director of the film, and then going through the process. And you see in the film, it's a multi-layered um, film with lots of different angles to it, different yeah. emotions. You know, Clive is talking, it's like one man's quest is his, you know, salvage his legacy. It's keeping a promise to his son who, you know, was tragically murdered, but then in it's all this great music so lots of different layers which also means lots of different you know very complicated to put together and took a long time you know you also saw we you know we had to sign ndas as part of it so you know the journey in all has been 10 years yeah okay i'm just asking for clarification here because that was a part i didn't really understand is you had to sign ndas um but yet we still have the the film so how well, did it was how during, that... Sorry, it was during the filming when there was a dispute between the family. Oh, it's yeah. just be, during that time. Yeah, so it was kind of like, you know, and that's why you kind of see it at the end because, so it wasn't about everything. I mean, obviously you want to get the trust of the, uh, you know, artists and the producers you're working with about such a historical film, but it was really more about Clive and his, you know, stepmom and, and her children that just needed to clarify who the, uh, you know, archive, Randy's archive belonged to, so. As Wael said, you know, Vincent Chin left his son, you know, the Randy's archive, which he did a lot of work at, which you see in the film, yeah. but somewhere along the line, they that it became a dispute within the family politics. So we had already started filming that and Mark had already, you know, taken on the project and we're doing so much, as you saw, we had done so much filming. So this was like 
a shock to us also. We didn't even know that the film may or may not come out, but you know, it went one way, it went in Clive's favor. So we were able to finish the song, uh, film, I guess. And that's one of the reasons that I got involved, you know, as an executive producer, I always look for films that are not just about topics that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate, I'm a songwriter, so I'm passionate about music, about reggae music as well. But for me, it's the human element stories, you know, those kind of human stories that are moving just beyond, you know, it's people sometimes think it's just about reggae. It's much more than that. You know, we had an audience member in Montreal on August 10th. Uh, many people, you know, have been just uh, giving us amazing feedback and love the film. But for her, she said it's a love story, you know, so it goes beyond the music, beyond, you know, that that's an exciting part, you know, learning about all these artists that many people, you know, many people grew up thinking reggae is just Bob Marley and the Wailers. And it's so much more than that. But I think it's all these kind of human stories. And for me as a songwriter, the reason I really appreciated working with Mark Reshma on this is that they really were very thorough, making sure that we got all the music rights, you know, and that everyone was credited correctly and that we cleared all the music um, because that that's really important to me as a songwriter as well. And, you know, just the, the fact that there are amazing stories where some people have had a happy ending after going through, you know, some some hard times as well. Warwick, what about you? Um, in terms of... Your favourite or how you got involved, I guess. Well, how I got involved is I met Reshma, um, you know, actually fairly randomly at my birthday party. She came with a friend of mine. And uh, I had uh, fairly recently, prior to that, made another film in also set in Jamaica. So Jamaica was on my mind. I'd been uh, driving around Jamaica in a small van with a lot of Bob Marley playing as we drove around. So um, it was fresh in my mind. And uh, when I met Reshma, she told me about her the story uh, that she had sort of uncovered and had already done a radio program about and written about and we met up and the more I heard about it the more interesting I thought the whole thing was it wasn't just a, a sort of release of, of music it was the whole story about a family it was a historical story uh, you know it had so many different layers to the whole thing the, the tragedy of his son of Clive's son um, and there, were, and there were a lot of aspects to the whole thing, which I, and of course, great music, you know, a great film and a great soundtrack. Um, you know, I felt like you couldn't really go wrong with it, but uh, of course it was, it wasn't all easy going. It was tough. I mean, I really just took it on myself to start with. Uh, and then we gradually managed to engage other people initially uh, a little bit from the, the BBC got a little bit involved and Wild got involved and, but it was bit by bit. And then we had, as Reshma said, we had the sort of um, year with the legal dispute where we were floundering a bit, wondering if we were ever going to be able to finish it because that could have sunk the whole project, you know. So, but in fact, that got resolved and um, we uh, came out at the end of the day with the finished film. Luckily, they did uh, sort it out out of court, so that, that was mm -hmm. good. Well, it's it's wonderful. It's incredible. And like you said, the music is just phenomenal all the way through. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about Randy's. Just just Randy's is itself as a space. It's funny. Like at the beginning of the film, there's a reference that says Randy's is Zion. And it's like this place, it, there's some energy of the creative space that was happening uh, in in that studio 
I mean, in, in some ways it reminds me of a, a totally different, of course, but it reminds me hearing of stories of like Motown where everybody would just come and just, it would just happen. There was something magical about that space. What is it that for you that, that was so special about Randy's? I think when you watch the film, you see Idler's Rest. So his location was a big part of it because Idler's Rest were all the um, musicians were, and they weren't just, you know, down and out musicians. If you think about it, you know, Carton Barrett and Simon Robbie, you know, those big names that were just, which were hanging about doing sessions. And when you really think about it, this was like the birth of reggae, you know, because in those times, you know, Jamaica, local Jamaican music like reggae was not played on the radio. So there had to be something for local people. And so this need for local understanding of what's happening on the island meant that there was a birth of a music because, you know, ultimately music is a message. Yeah. And this is how this, you know, you, you see in the film, like how the music changes on the island from ska to rock steady to reggae and all of it is to do with the mood and the change of how things are happening. Things are happy at independence, things get politically stressful, so music reflects that. And so Randy's was accommodating local musicians, local mm -hmm. producers, so of course naturally it becomes a hub. As you mentioned, you compared it to Motown, you know, Motown was doing almost exactly the same thing, Barry Gordy putting on this you know, allowing all these musicians and artists to come together who were no name people at the time, of course, but they're making magic happen. And, you know, if you think about Scratch Perry, you know, the Mad Genius or Peter Tosh or Dennis Brown or Bunny Whalum, hey, Bob Marley, you know, like you're talking about putting these creatives together in one space. Yeah. No, Randy's was one of many you're talking about dynamic federation um studio, studio one. one you know all of these um there were some prominent studios that were doing this but the difference with randy's was it was located in the heart of parade and so it had all this energy going around and on top of that sorry uh, mark on top of that i love the fact that there's a record store right downstairs i mean so like catering not only to the musicians and the artists but the tastes of the locals you know the people and i think that's very very exciting i mean that imagine was the most distinct part of randy's absolutely practice. like carl says you could make the record play it yeah. and see the reactions of the people, not only the artists that were really excited and the musicians about recording it, but the people listening to it so fresh, literally off the press, you know? But as an aspiring artist, this is like, like he's Carl Malcolm says, it's a package deal. You're not just making the music, you get a chance to sell the record. And I think Randy's had what they call a sort of open door policy as well. I mean, I think some of the other studios were you know they had their own repertoire of artists you know that they worked with and producers and so on rand is a understand was much more open in terms of who could use it and who could record there and i think you know all creativity is about interactivity and if you've got a bunch of artists and producers and singers all hanging around interacting with each other that's when you get creative uh, fusions and you know people kicking off one person to another and that's when uh, new things happen so i think that's you know what was going on then and as freshman was saying especially with this idler's rest you know where they're all sort of hanging around waiting for their moment 
Yeah, and I think it said at one point that not only that, he would sell it. Like, so that was part of, like you said, it was a package deal. So he will record it if he can sell it in his store and, and get the, it's phenomenal. It was really fascinating. It was really interesting. Um, well, like Bob said, uh, you know, about inclusivity as well. I mean, the fact that Miss Pat, you know, encouraged artists to sell, bring their records and sell them at Randy's record store. You know, that's kind of also, that was something new for them. Instead of having to go door to door, home to home, they, they had a place actually where they could actually have their you know music not only heard but bought and you know if it didn't sell eventually they could get it back you know so that was also exciting hmm. i love that the film touches on uh reggae specifically as almost a political act uh and i think um reshma you've sort of touched on that a little bit about it being the vibe of the culture um and how it changes. That was really interesting too. When you talk about when I think there's one point where it says when the the shine comes off Jamaican independence, and then the you hear the tone changes. I, I was wondering what you think, how you how you feel the influence of reggae would have had on on the culture, but also on the political situation at the time. I think that reggae was, as I mentioned before, is born out of a need and necessity yeah. for local voices. We often hear the term dance when people think it's a genre, but it's actually a term for a place where people go to to hear the latest music. And so it's actually a place where, you know, selectors would come, string up, you know, sound systems, and you have a DJ who, you know, DJs on the, who would say rap in America, mm -hmm um or all over the world you know it's, but it's you know or toasting often the word toasting where they toast over these new beats and then there's the selector who selects the rhythm who which is the thing that would be made in the studio but on top of all of those things a dance hall was a place for poor people where they could go without having to pay an admission fee where they couldn't afford to pay an admission fee but to party to the music that was resonating or is resonating with them because this music is made for that culture for yeah. what is happening right now what's going on on the streets what's going on on the island whose friend is this and whose friend is not this and i think you still hear it in the music i still often um you know when i play reggae and dance or you understand why you like a certain person you know you have the Roots Revival, which, you know, I know there's an argument that you know, there's no Roots Revival because Roots never went anywhere, but you have the new, you know, Coffee, Chronics, um, Kabaka Pyramid, there's artists right now that are doing what Bob Marley was doing at the time in his sound. But, you know, you have all the classic 90s to now, um, Bounty Killer, Shabarangs, you know, Boogie Banton, Popcorn, Vibes Cartel, I mean, Shansia, Spice, we can go on. But every time you hear a song, you understand what they're singing about. And it's to do with what's happening right now in everyone's life. And we can't sing, they can't sing about what happened in 1962, but it's relevant to what's happening. And that's really what dancehall is. And that's, dancehall is reggae music. It's just, it was coined something different because of the beat. You could really often compare it to you know, R&B and hip hop, you know, it's the same music. It comes from the same background. One goes 
in a different tempo and a different style, but the, you know, the history is the same. So you're really listening to the political change even to now. I mean, if you've heard of an artist called Skilly Bang, you, you, you know, he has a song recently that has come out called What What, which was criticized by Jamaican Prime Minister. That's not really that different to what was happening in 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. And, and, you know, if we really open our mind and think about all genres often have had to deal with this type of, um, you know, situation when it forms out of a necessity and rap and hip hop are no different. I mean, we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop and, you know, you can look back to um, certain quotes that people have said, oh, this gangster music, you know, this is gangster style music. And, and now hip hop has become a... Uh, multi-billion dollar industry that has influenced a lot of other genres and you know you can't really you can travel most of america and people speak hip-hop so just like reggae influenced so many genres of music i mean including funk you know the clash and lots of other people so people sometimes may forget that reggae was so influential i mean you know and also jimmy cliff you know in the film talks about how amazing it was for the first time for Jamaicans to see themselves on the screen, you know, and the harder they come. And, uh, you know, that that's also significant. So not only in the music, but all of a sudden you actually get to see yourself as a Jamaican on the screen as well. And that was a first, you know. So they didn't used to play their music on the radio and then all of a sudden, you know, they were on the radio and then they were on the screen. So these are, you know, kind of political acts in themselves you know, to actually be able to get to that point where you actually, before they were competing, I mean, the reason they had all these like, and they still have, you know, great street parties and the sound, you know, and the speakers out, but they used to have to actually go maybe hire or rent a truck with big speakers, sound systems, so people could hear their music because it wasn't being played on the radio. So to actually kind of see that transformation is, is amazing, you know, for people who love music and love reggae music in particular. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is a wonderful film and I, I really feel like encapsulates so much, uh, just not even just with the music style, but like you said, there's so many, I, I love that you've referred to it as multi-layered because it is, there's so many stories going on. Um, just, you know, we're running out of time. I just wanted to say thank you so much. Uh, the film is great. And uh, I really do appreciate it. I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Yeah, just one, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just one other thing we should mention is that you know, a number of contributors in the film, you know, have died sadly over the last two or three years. So, um, you know, it, it is um, it's one of the last uh, representations of some of those key figures that are there in the film. So, in that sense, it's it's uh, you know also a kind of important historical document um like lee yeah. scratch perry bunny lee uh, you know other people i uh, wanted to oh. just mention that because you know we couldn't get everybody in the film already we've lost so many greats but even in the last two years as mark says you know this film really we were so lucky to get some of the greats that you know passed away and we really appreciate your time and your energy and also the fact that you've been interested in the film. I hope your audience really enjoys it when 
um, I think you guys can talk about where we're going to show. We're going to be in Vancouver on September 5th, Edmonton September 7th, Calgary September 9th, and we're waiting for confirmation from the cinema in Winnipeg. And I think we're going to be in Waterloo between the 2nd and 4th of October as well. We just got uh, news about that. So thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it and uh, your support. Thank you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.